Lessons in Lattes, Episode 4. Super excited to be here with Amanda Fox, and I can't do her accomplishments justice, so I'm going to go ahead and allow her to introduce herself and talk about some of the great things she's been working on lately. Hi, thank you, Megan. Um, I'm Amanda Fox. I'm an educator, a mom, a businesswoman, or an entrepreneur. Um, I also run Steampunk's EDU here in Louisville, Kentucky, which is an after-school program that focuses on STEAM education. And most recently, I'm going back into the classroom this year teaching 8th grade ELA, so I'm super excited about that. And I'm also author of Teaching Lands, a teacher's survival guide to the classroom apocalypse, and Zombie, a design thinker. So tell us a little bit about um, Zombie. I know that that's the one that I kind of connected with on Twitter. Where did that idea come from and what are you hoping to accomplish with that? So uh, design thinking is uh, becoming a huge part of uh, the design process in education. And working with kindergarten through fifth graders through Steampunk CDU, I noticed that there was kind of a lack of understanding of, of how to take an idea to a prototype or to a final product or how to identify or define a problem. So after uh, my co-author Mary Ellen Weeks and I wrote Teaching Land and uh, I came up with the zombie zips for chapter six, their little maker challenges, I thought, you know, it would be really cute if we had a little zombie um, who is typically an antagonist become the protagonist and because he's not necessarily human, have him teach human-centered design to kids. So basically, Zip the Zombie was born, um, and I, he's like a little two-sided plush, so one side he's zombie, the other side he's human. And as he teaches kids about design thinking, they feed their ideas, their ideations, uh, and, and the problems that they're trying to solve to Zip's empathy machine, because design thinking is driven by empathy. And as they share, he becomes more and more human. So uh, just breaking down that design thinking process into a kid's book, a picture book, and then having this little lovable uh, zombie, uh, the, the protagonist of the story, help teach design thinking to kids. So I would definitely say that your character is very lovable. I know I, <laughs> it makes me want to engage more as an educator. It makes me want to try and step outside of that box um, just so like Zip the Zombie can say like, hey, good job. So like I will have to say like bravo for making a lovable, connectable character, even for educators, not just kids. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. So he's got his own music video as well. So um the idea behind that was to take Baby Shark and Little Einsteins and, and create an addicting song for kids that is educational. And Where can that be like, found? Like, <laughs> it's on YouTube and um, also on Zip the Zombie's Twitter page. So he has his own Twitter page and we've been documenting his adventures and all of the design challenges. We're going to roll out one design challenge a month. Um, all of those, as well as the music video and the student design journal, all of that can be found on our Twitter page. Very so. cool. I, I will have to say this summer I was exposed to Baby Shark and um, regretted being <laughs> exposed to Baby Shark. Um, oddly, it was by high school students um, in summer school. They were fascinated, I think, with that kind of repetition of it. So super excited to check out Zip the Zombies um, music video and hope that it's 
slightly better than Baby Shark because sadly I can't get it out of my head now. So I I know. Have you um, had the chance to use Zip the Zombie in the after school program that you were talking about? Um, I, I I have actually. I uh, tested him this spring and in a video game fun class. So uh, there, it was well received. They had, had they made little video games that had uh, Zip the protagonist of the game instead of the antagonist. So, and in some of the games, he was saving kittens, uh, you know, kittens from trees or, or, you know, just whatever the kids came up with. So it was, it was interesting seeing them go through that process and, and using a character that, like, I created to, to drive that process. But if I, 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 have, I have the song pulled up if you'd like for me to play a sample. Oh, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Let's see if it works. Hopefully. <laughs> shark I can hook on to that a little bit more I will have to say um so I honestly haven't heard much about design thinking to be perfectly honest I did do a little bit of research before um this podcast and I'm actually super excited about it because it looks like it can be really when it looks like it can benefit all students, not just gen ed, not just special ed, and not just your gifted and talented, but it looks like that it benefits all students across the board, which makes me super excited because I am not about um, seclusion, but more about inclusion. Can you talk a little bit about um, kind of the process that teachers would go through to start implementing this in their classroom? So uh, uh, with little... So typically you start uh, with, with contextualizing the problem, but you don't exactly come out and tell students what the problem is. Okay. Uh, so so um, let's say with access to clean or fresh water. So a, a lot of what we're doing or what I'm doing with, with uh, the problem piece is looking at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Okay. So those are actually the first challenges that we're going to be rolling out. And uh, they've got the SDG book club attached to it as well. So in addition to using you know, zombie and design thinker to teach the, the process of going from um, em- empathizing with someone else because the problems we solve are rarely our own and, and taking it to a prototype or a solution. It's uh, starting with those SDGs, there's 17. The first one we're rolling out is uh, actually access to clean water. Okay. So, like when we when we think of, of students uh, or, or overseas students don't have access to clean water, sometimes our students have have trouble like envisioning or imagining that. So, bringing in the books from the SCG book club, in addition to, to Zip, allows them to read and put themselves in the shoes of, of kids who actually have this problem. Mm-hmm. And then thinking of thinking of ways uh, or brainstorming ways to help 
So whether it's create a water filtration device to where they can actually um, create uh, ways to, to filter out water, whether that's the problem or the distance and, and carrying it. So that's one small way with, with littles. Uh, and another thing to consider is how are you framing the design challenge? So maybe it's not a problem that you know students are solving. Maybe you give them just a direct design challenge. So one of the workshops I said in Australia, um, Zena, uh, she's, she's uh, I can't, I'm going to butcher her last name, but, but Zena, she did this great design thinking workshop and she asked everyone in the room, all right, everyone, we're going to design a base. Everyone draw a base. And the, uh, everyone's schema for a base was kind of the same. So everyone had very similar drawings. Mm-hmm. So then when she rephrased the design challenge and asked us to draw a, um, draw something that holds flowers. You know, you're going to design something that holds flowers in, a, in an aesthetic way. So then instead of a base, I drew like hanging plants or, or you know, like a hanging vase. So right. all of the drawings were different. So making sure that you frame the problem in a way that, that uh, leaves it open, more open, so you don't get the same, the same product. So maybe instead of a boat, a uh, water flota- flotation craft. Sure. So, um, yeah, so... That's kind of like where to start. Where to start is how to frame the design challenge and coming up with, with problems. And the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals is a great place for any teacher to start because there's 17 that they outline and they're global issues. So it's not just looking at and, and you can always take those global issues and look within your local communities as well because sometimes um, – Looking using place-based problem solving, it's more local, it's more home, so it resonates more with kids. Well, I know so that that's, that's uh, even in my own environment, we're, we're worried about our water filtration systems. So, I mean, it's definitely an issue that needs to be looked at with um, curiosity and maybe some innovative ideas. Um, so, I'm super excited to hear that you're rolling out the challenges for teachers and that you're connecting them back to more global issues and it sounded like there's also some books associated with that as well so that's like across the curriculum as well yes so the sustainable development goals has the like i said the sdg book club which there's a hashtag hashtag sdg book club and you can start one at your school you can start one at your local library and they're rolling out books that align each of the 17 challenges mm-hmm. so um just you just need to go to sustainabledevelopment.un.org and you can have you can find access to all the goals so there's no poverty zero hunger ensure um, good health and well-being quality education gender equality clean water and sanitation affordable and clean energy and you get the idea it goes on and on so there, there are 17 of them <laughs> i'm not going to list them all for you but you can go check them out and, and really just look at your curriculum and find which of those 17 align with what you're teaching and um, organically fold them into what you're doing already so that's exciting. I know that my summer kids had a lot to say about education and some of the changes that they would like to see um, moving forward. So I think that that would be an easier place for maybe some of the like secondary education teachers to start, um, especially with I know for my SPED kids, 
they're very frustrated with the system and they can identify how they feel and how they learn, but not quite that solution piece yet. So I think maybe starting there would be a great place for some folks, of course, depending on the curriculum. But I think you kind of hit on a point where you said where you can organically bring it into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I lived in Savannah, Georgia, uh, goal number 14, Life Below Water, would have been a great one because uh, we were always talking about marine conservation. So thinking about your local issues in your local community as well and picking one that kind of aligns with what you're doing in your community is, is a great way to get started as well. And so, teachers like can um, put their progress up on Zip's page. Is that kind of how it's going to work? Or what's your vision for that? For what? For your challenges. Um, are you opening it up for all 17? Are you opening just one at a time? How is that? Oh, yeah, I'm rolling out one at a time. I'm designing these as I go. So, uh, yeah, I've got kind of like design cards that I started creating. And the design cards highlight like a, a couple different issues, like five or 10 different perspectives of how to approach that problem. And they're just talking points that should, uh, they sh- as students get into groups, they can ideate on which talk or which point or they would like to address. And uh, I'm hoping to create a, like a video launch with Zip so I'm using a Davy character animator. So he's actually going to be talking to the students Fine. and textualizing the problem and um, activating. It's going to be like an empathy activator as and an activator, design challenge activator, kind of all rolled into one. So really stating, the, you know, what kind of like contextualizing the problem and then also um, showing who this, what this problem affects and who it affects. So. Very cool. It kind of sounds like um, design thinking is a way to create like more of that social emotional piece within the curriculum, as well as increasing curiosity in how things work. And then like the social justice piece as well. Am I getting that right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I mean, because (laughs) who wants to live in a world where we don't care about each other and where we're not trying to help each other? know and and solve problems for one another so the whole point is is really to to make people not solve problems for themselves but thinking about how they can make the world better and for other people in the community so i know that when some of the buzzwords in education has also been the maker centered centered learning how does that differ from design thinking or does it differ um so make, making doesn't necessarily have to be driven by design thinking, but I think uh, design thinking definitely has making. That makes that sense. sense. So it's kind of like design thinking yeah. incorporates the maker thinking or learning, but maker thinking or maker learning doesn't necessarily incorporate design thinking. Correct. Did I say so that right? It's super design, confusing. Design and our approach to making. Like I, so it's, it's that process. And okay. um, as, as, you, as you go through the process, there's the five modes. And, and then the six would be share or implementation. And so, so you start with empathize, then you define, ideate, prototype, and test. And like 
in a maker classroom, you're, you're dealing with low budget, you know, low cost uh, materials, lots of times cardboard, clothespins, duct tape, that type of thing. And the whole point of design thinking, the first rendition at least, is um, like low budget prototyping. So you're basically creating a um, just a, a, a low budget visualization of, of what you're trying to do or, or, or what product you're trying to create. So and it, it doesn't have to be um, physical materials. It can also be a digital piece. It could, it could be like maybe a video game or maybe we're creating something in virtual reality. So there's, there's two different, there's digital making and then there's hands-on making, which digital making is hands-on, but like physical pieces that go with it. So I hope that makes sense. No, it totally does. Um, so what I know that you mentioned that students can work in groups with design thinking. Are they also able to work individually or is it is the point of design thinking to have that group generated collaboration and communication regarding the problem? It's definitely uh, group oriented. So when you're ID more brains are better than one so getting multiple perspectives and it's not just it's about like collaborating and, and building together but it's also interviewing the person you're designing for like being able to interview them and understand you know what are they saying like what are they saying they need inferring you know based on their actions and then taking all of that and, and putting that information into your prototype, making sure it's reflective in whatever solution that you, that you create. So it's, it's not just working with your peers, but it's also interviewing those who you're solving problems for. I like that. I like that it's kind of bringing it full circle, essentially. <laughs> so, um, uh, Future Cities is a great example. So Future Cities project. You have uh, last year's theme was creating a senior living facility. I think that was last year's theme or a futuristic senior living um, city. Okay. And that took into account our, our elderly. And in order to really design something for that uh, population, you have to talk to them, you have to interview them, you have to find out you know, what what they need, what they want, and then you also have to make assumptions, or make, not make assumptions, but uh, design things that they might not know they want, that they need. So, like, so, kind of an example would be to, like, set it in, like, maybe the past or something that they're more familiar with as their brain ages. Uh -huh. That they couldn't so, articulate that, maybe, right? They, they couldn't like they wouldn't necessarily articulate that I know there's a community that just actually launched in Southern California sent kind of in the 1950s and the 1960s uh, first people with dementia that in their brain they are still they are living in that time frame interesting that's that's very cool <laughs> so and then there's the opposite end of the spectrum there's the movie Marjorie Prime where they actually use holograms, AI holograms of past loved ones to um, engage in conversation with them and remind them to take meds or eat or, and, and just kind of monitor and observe. 
Interesting. So, that is like yeah. both ends of the spectrum there. <laughs> yes, very, very, <laughs> very interesting movie. Um, and uh, interesting application of, of artificial intelligence and holograms. So, And that's another, I know that, um, you know, you talk a lot about design thinking, but you're also very interested in the virtual reality aspect as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm a co-host for the Virtual Reality Podcast uh, with James McCreary, Alex Chaucer, and Stephen Zotto. And we're constantly researching and investigating new uh, VR and AR tools that come out for educators um, in education and business. So I'm all, I've always got AR and VR and AI kind of in the back of my mind whenever I'm approaching problem solving or teaching or you know, designing learning experiences for students. Being a little bit of a devil's advocate here, I know that, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about like funding and trying to get resources for students to have these opportunities. What are, just kind of jumping ship for a second, what are some low cost opportunities for teachers to be able to incorporate some of that AR or VR into their classroom? So, Immediately, Metaverse comes to mind. It's a completely free platform where students can design their own AR experiences, and then it uses the QR code to launch the experience. So the AR reader for Zombie and Design Thinker is actually made with Metaverse. There's a QR code in the book, so when you scan it, non-readers, and this goes back to um, quality education. So uh, there's a large non-literate population in the United States. It's, it's, uh, it's a problem. So one of the things that I wanted to do with the book was to make the book accessible to non-readers. And, and I'm not talking about just um, kids in the classroom, but kids at home as well, who, who may have two working parents that don't have time to, to read to them at night. So being able to launch that and have a, um, an AR reader telling the kids to turn the page and reading each page and having the characters pop up. So I would start there and it doesn't, you don't even have to create like a, um, a book reader with it. You can create a choose your own adventure, a scavenger hunt. Uh, there's, there's formative assessments you can make. So in teaching land, we actually used it for formative assessments at the end of each chapter. Um, choose your own adventure. So we did this parent communication kind of like flow chart, but we created it in AR, which was kind of cool. So I would start with Metaverse um, the, for co-spaces um, or for virtual reality, I would say co-spaces. Co-spaces is, I, I believe, like 3 or $4 a student, which can be a little pricey, but you can do it on any device. It's device agnostic. So whether you have a phone, your BYOD, kids are bringing in phones, or you have an uh, iPad cart or Chromebook cart, you can check those out and have students creating. Those, nice. those are my, my two favorite entry-level platforms. And they're pretty user-friendly for those of us like me who um, are Absolutely. kind of figuring things out as we go. <laughs> yeah, so, most of the time, the kids so know more. get it. Get in and, and tinker, uh, learn with your kids. There's nothing wrong with learning with your kids as long as you're still providing those opportunities to them. And co-spaces is literally 
drag and drop. And it's you've got the option of starting them with visual JavaScript. It's the code blocks. It's it's there. It's kind of like Scratch, like how they have the, the block code. Um, and you can also do script. So depending on where your students are at or what what level of education you're at, whether you're teaching elementary, middle, or high, um, it lends itself to all age age groups. Awesome. Like that's super exciting for me as an educator. And also um, when I'm differentiating instruction and knowing that some of my kids are not going to go home and read a book that you really did, you really were conscientious of that. And it makes me more confident in promoting that as well, knowing that it's accessible for all levels and even potentially all parents as well. Absolutely. And it comes, like, if you go to the website, um, teachinglandthebook.com slash zom slash b, uh, there's that student process journal you can download, and I'm in the process of creating the AR component. So if you scan the front of the book with our Vibe app, the front of the book comes to life, and it basically says, hey, guys, you know, the inside of this book is still under you know, the air content inside is still under construction. So on all of the empathy machine pages, we're actually um, augmenting him to where he comes to life and tells the students and kind of coaches them or teaches them where to go in the student process journal and ask prompting questions to get them started on, you know, empathizing, ideating, and uh, beginning that process of, coming out with a solution and how to prototype. So all of that will be built in where if, if a teacher is just getting started, you know, I've taken not just my experience, but I've surveyed a couple of other teachers who've been doing design thinking and really in, embedding that coaching piece into the student design journal, I think will take some pressure off of a teacher getting, just getting started. So as you scan the page, Zip becomes the teacher. And, and he really coaches coaches the kids through each mode. And that's awesome too, knowing that, you know, I have, I could have anywhere from three to 28, 29 kids in my room at any given time. And knowing that they could get started on a section without me physically guiding them is, um, uh-huh. is almost like a boost of encouragement. Like, yes, I can do this. Yes, my kids can do this. So that's really exciting for me as well as an educator. Mm-hmm. And so the baseline teaching's there, so that the kid that needs to listen another time can go back and rescan and, and hear it again, and then the kid that needs to move forward can just go on forward. So it's always got built-in enrichment and um, or acceleration and remediation. And then if if they need more help and the AR coaching isn't doing it for them, you can pull small groups and really work with those students on. Uh, getting down to what design thinking really means. So what motivated you um, to create such an amazing resource for students um, and teachers? Uh, well, I'm a teacher to my bo- down to my bones. So <laughs> when, uh, when I was thinking, when I was writing, you know, teaching land for teachers, I, I, was, I was thinking about the student component too. And what students like a companion guide to the to the teaching to teaching land that students could get something out of and it would help teachers really figure out how to implement the things that I was talking about in teaching land. So 
creating it just kind of came natural because I, I look at things not just from an instructional, um, okay, this is what I'm teaching, but how. And, and this is, I was like, oh, this is how I would introduce it. Man, I, sh I should really share that. So I, I did. <laughs> so I think I wrote it. This is this is this is gonna sound funny, but I actually wrote Zombie a Design Thinker over the course of two hours on Christmas break, <laughs> right after I had finished submitting the final layout for Teaching Land. So as Teaching Land was in layout mode, um, Design Zombie a Design Thinker was born and. I, I found a great illustrator, and she really brought the drawings to life. And everything was submitted by February, and I had a I had a contract with DPC, and it was it came out a month after Teaching Land. So that that was kind of the process behind how it all rolled out and happened. I was just sitting around uh, the house Christmas break, and I was like, man, it'd be really cool to have a, a little two-sided zombie <laughs> you know as he's teaching as he's teaching this empathy is the antidote that turns him into a real boy kind of like because I love Pinocchio and um, just pulling some of those uh, things back into play and then there's I'm working on a, a second book for zombie a design thinker as well because you can zombie anything I can you know I can put anything after that so <laughs> Interesting. I'll, I'll leave you with that too. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really excited. I haven't, I'm so guilty that I haven't read either one of your books, but I, I am almost more excited about Zip the Zombie and all of that that I can bring into the classroom. I mean, yes, I want to read Teaching Land, but I'm really more excited about all the components, especially as a SPED teacher. Like now you have my wheels turning and I'm super excited. To implement design thinking, like now I realize, oh, yeah, I've been doing more like that maker thinking, um, even though the materials have been on a budget and everything else. But really to have that empathy component, because a lot of my kids, they can't. I love them. They're great. And they make me smile every day, but they can't see beyond themselves. And I think really adding that component into instruction into curriculum and that problem solving will be huge and definitely give them some skill sets as they leave high school. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so empathy is, is something hard to embrace, um, especially littles. Like I have a, I have a four-year-old who, my 10-year-old, she's got empathy down, like down pat. Her heart is 20 times bigger than she is. Um, but my four-year-old's still in that mode of she's going to, um, her, her ice cream is going to melt while she's counting someone else's sprinkles. She's thinking about herself. She's kind of self-centered. And, and I think we have to model and, and coach empathy for it to develop in our littles. So I was, I was hoping that Zip would be able to, you know, give empathy a face, a green one, but um, <laughs> as they model positive behaviors, you can really use um, their progress with empathy and his, his being two-sided to um, be a kind of like a, a monitor and a, and a, I don't want to say a, a motivator. There we go. Yeah, and I love like that idea of him changing and growing. That's like, 
I honestly, I can't believe I'm like almost dumbfounded that it only took you two hours to create. But what like, again, like bringing that Pinocchio um, idea and everything is just such a great concept. And I'm so excited to see the adventures that he goes on next. I mean, I really feel like you've sparked something that can really kind of embrace all levels, all ages and excite people. And I'm like, my hat's off to you. Like I'm speechless, (laughs) but I'm excited for you as well. Thank you. Well, empathy changes us from the inside out. And that's one of the messages that that I I want to uh, deliver to kids through Zip is that as they start empathizing and as he uh, understands empathy, like it, it really does transform him down to turning back into a real boy. And also that zombies uh, historically have been the antagonist. So he's changing his own narrative and he's taken it upon himself that no matter if the rest of the world views him as an antagonist, that he's rewriting his story. And I hope that inspires students to be more open-minded and also do the same. Love that. And with that, you know, I can't think of a better way to wrap up. So thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. uh, I'll have to send you um, send you some copies. Oh, that would be awesome. Thank you. (laughs) I really can't thank Amanda enough for being with us today. Super excited to talk about design thinking definitely super motivated to translate it into the classroom. It is beyond, I can't even like begin to talk about my excitement, give words to my excitement. But in the spirit of lessons and lattes, I will share with you a sweet indulgence. And also as summer wraps up to an end, I'm a cooler indulgence and it is the cold brew coffee soda float so what you need to make this is one cup of coffee beans five cups of water and filtered preferably regular crushed ice or if you want that extra jolt of caffeine coffee ice cubes two shots of espresso for one drink one half cup club soda for one drink, one quarter cup vanilla ice cream, melted chocolate for drizzling if desired. And if you're a coconut person, the toasted coconut um, for topping if desired as well. If you're making this at home, it's definitely gonna be an extra caffeine kick. But the way you do it is you make um, your cold brew where you add the grounds to a large bowl or pitcher, container or jar, add the water and stir it to mix. You let the mixture stay overnight in the fridge. The next morning, strain the coffee through a few layers of cheesecloth or a coffee filter. This way um, you're reducing the coffee granules. Then you fill a glass with crushed ice or your coffee ice cubes and pour your cold brew over the top of it. Make sure you get a little more than halfway depending on your caffeine tolerance. You add in the two shots of espresso, add in the club soda and stir. 
If it's bubbly enough for you, leave it at that. If not, add just a little bit more of the club soda. Scoop the ice cream on top and slightly push it down until the cold brew. At this point, you can drink it like this or swirl the ice cream until it melts. Or you can drizzle a little chocolate and sprinkle with some coconut or the topping of your choice. 